All right, so let's talk a little bit about the markets here. Welcome to Bull Bear Radio. Market pricing's nuts. Each week, we catch up with WBI's experts, Matt and Don Schreiber. Down 77%. You know what you need to recover from that? A miracle. WBI brings you wealth-building market insights. Hi, this is Matt Schreiber, and this is Bull Bear Radio. I am joined by Don Schreiber, Jr., founder, CEO of WBI, our spiritual leader. And here we are with our first podcast episode ever. And Don, hey, you've been in the business since 1981. You founded WBI in 1984. Long time. Yeah. And, you know, you've written a couple of books all about dividend investing and, you know, building a world-class financial services business. You're on like Fox and CNBC and all that kind of cool stuff. But, you know, for everybody listening out there, why'd you get into the business in the first place? So I came into the business because I was looking for a new opportunity. I grew up in a, in a business owner family. So I was a little What bit, did you guys do? So we made custom loose leaf three ring binders. Not real sexy, but, you know, we had uh, one of the larger uh, companies in America, making three-ring binders for major companies like IBM, Sharp, and, and those type sure, of guys. You know, yeah, everybody for back in the day when you needed a product catalog before the computer or a manual to, to run that computer. Right before computers right. destroyed our business. I gotcha. So, you know, you got into this business, uh, a wealth management business, principally serving clients, and then out of that morphed this investment management business, WBI. Uh, also known as Wealth Builders Inc. And so what's, you know, why? Why did you get into the investment so the, ma management business? So when I decided to uh, segue out of the family business, I was looking for an opportunity to help people. I saw an, an ad by uh, the College for Financial Planning about their first graduating class back in 1979. And it talked about a tremendous opportunity for the first time to add true value to each client relationship based on providing client-specific financial planning advice and, and services. And it really sounded like a great thing to me. So as you went through this, you started to meet with clients and, you know, it was the, the early 1980s and markets kind of got off to a good start. Obviously, the 60s and 70s were terrible. Well, we came Markets out of, were flat. Nobody made money investing. What were your clients saying to you then? You know, we came out of that stagflation period and people had gotten really battered by the 73-74 bear market, which was actually larger than average. It, you know, people lost 50, 60, 70% on the popular averages. The go-go mutual funds really killed people. So when I came into the business uh, investing, equities weren't popular. Most people had money in the bank. We had 14% interest rate on It was on easy CDs. to make money in CDs and you some bet. of these other products. We had real with high. interest rates being high. Real high interest rates, as Paul Volcker, the uh, uh, chairman of the Fed, um, let interest rates for the first time float and find a uh, natural uh, level. Uh, before that, the government was controlling interest rates and set interest rate policy. 1987, where, where you know, comes around, and, and what happened to investors then? So even in in the early 80s, the market was up and down a lot. It was very volatile, and the older clients that I was doing business with. Why'd you do business with older clients? Because they had larger accounts. All right, you know, but, but you know, but if you're, if you're going to build a meaningful right? business, you want to have a larger capital base to to. Uh, 
to, to work with, to bill on, you yeah. know, to, to get generate fees from. But they have a unique set of circumstances, the older client, correct? They do. You know, as they get close to retirement, they don't want to lose their capital. And they've already been through trying to do it themselves. They're very much, they're into So they'd meet with you, what would they say? What would they they say? They would say, hey, Don, you know, I'm going to trust you to invest my money. No matter what you do, don't lose it because I don't have time to rebuild this. I've been saving this and investing this money all my life. And so, you know, down 10 was a bad number. Down 15, they'd start to get scared. Some would exit. Down 20, a older client close to or in retirement is going to head for the hill start to freak out yeah. you bet yeah and, so and down found, 30s like a no-go yep well you've really hurt people if you let them go down 30 so i did some market research you know and we were being told about buy and hold clients you know passive uh asset allocation portfolios and diversification's diversification awesome. will reduce risk and you know all of that was true for a while but you know um it just didn't quite make sense for these clients because my client's experience was they were actually buying high and selling low. They didn't fire me. That doesn't seem like as a, a financial good advisor. Buy high and sell low. They would buy high, sell low, and then, worse yet, they'd sit on the sidelines. Well, when you buy high, don't you have to kind of find someone that's not as intelligent maybe as, as you to buy that stock a little bit higher? Sure. It's a greater fool theory, it's called, on Wall Street. When you buy a stock that is uh, overpriced, really high, you got to find somebody dumber than you to buy it at a higher price. So you like to buy low. And sometimes the dummies don't show up. Yes. So you like to buy low and sell at a higher point. Collecting the dividend is important uh, in in terms of your investment thought process. Well, one of the things you find is that compounding is is the most important thing. Einstein, Albert Einstein said that. Smart dude. Compounding is the eighth wonder of the world and the most powerful investment force in the universe. Now, since Einstein's pretty smart, you know, credited as being the smartest guy like ever, using the most part of his brain, largest part of his brain, um, you know, I looked or at this. Or did he just use the whole brain? <laughs> I looked at this and I said, hey, you know, how do we promote compounding and get the most efficient compounding ever? Well, you get that by using dividend stocks that have a consistent, steady income stream that's not dependent on the direction of the market. doesn't matter whether it's a bull market or a bear market. All right, so let's- You get a return on your capital through dividends, and you can reinvest it in compound shares. It's very powerful. All right, so so enough about you and the company, Don, here. You know, um, I've been in the business since birth, so nobody really wants to talk about me, which is just fine. We don't have to do that. This so is, Matt, what, do you, this, what this are your is, major job dude, responsibilities at you WBI? Know, I, I, I kind of help run the place, so- you know, and and uh, you know that's what I do. But hey, this is this is Bull Bear Radio. I just I love doing that. But hey, you know we're here to talk about markets, the economy, building a business, try and help people out. So let's do that. The markets have been on this awesome run. We've been running forever, it would seem, for years on the markets. Do do markets continue to go higher here, or or does the bear? take hold this fall so i think that uh up leading into the fall there were a couple of things that we're really concerned about first of all gdp for the last couple of years has been weak been on fire right no it's been weak the markets have been on fire so gdp is on fire right no no, no, no. No. the markets have been in fire because the fed has had a backstop for the markets with monetary policy so but you may have noticed you may have noticed they started to hike interest rates about a year or so ago, and so far this year, from December of 2016, and this year, we have four, three rate hikes. 
in a row. We haven't seen the full effect of those rate hikes, and it's one of the concerns that we have. With a 2% or less GDP environment, do you think that three rate hikes are enough to cause a recession? It's one of it's the possible. Things, the Fed's nuts here. I think the Fed is nuts, and I think that the Fed isn't looking at the right statistics. They're looking at unemployment or full employment statistics. Typically, when you have full employment, you get inflation because wages go up, and companies then raise their prices. And people we haven't had any of that. Inflation continues to fall. So, you know, again, back to the markets here. We're, we keep marching higher. You, you talked about some of the risk here. What are some of the other risks to the market right now? So, you know, in uh, the second quarter, we had pretty blockbuster earnings, especially compared to the trough or the low point of earnings in 2016. We had so earnings falling. Q2 from, over the year prior. Yep. So this Q2 of 17 over Q2 of 16, it was an easy beat. But it looks really good. This coming quarter. Though the disturbing thing was is that companies didn't even wait until this coming quarter's reports, which start September 30th and go forward. They started to guide expectations lower on earnings because they didn't think they were going to hit their numbers. And those companies got beat up, didn't they? You bet. Those companies got taken out to the woodshed. Really? You know, and, and so what, what sectors were those companies in that, you know, got taken out to the woodshed, so to well, speak? Well, any companies on? that aren't growing as fast as expectation. You know, the auto industry came off a tremendous tremendous sales and revenue cycle they basically hit peak all-time high in the a record number of 17 uh, million plus vehicles sold in the united states and they were projecting like 16 so it's just not the big box million. stores you're talking about autos well, amazon, you know had a little amazon bit has had a big effect on all of the retail sector every retail company it doesn't matter whether it's food or clothing or whatever has all essentially taken a haircut this year. Energy stocks have taken a haircut because the price of oil continues to fall. You know, I had a conversation with somebody. He says, you know, I'm betting on $50, $60 barrel. You know, people are saying that it won't go up to 100 again. I think it will. You know, and I said to the, it's supply and demand. U.S. reserves have been growing faster than ever before. We are now the dominant or one of the dominant oil producers in the world and we're not slowing down and at the same time every new car that's sold is more fuel efficient than the last one that it's you know replacing on the street potentially we so also even have, suvs we also have a lot of electric cars so the demand is going down the problem is that there's too much supply too much continuous supply i don't see oil price prices rising back to 100 anytime soon to do that we need a fast-paced growth in the economy if the economy was growing at three, four, five, six percent like it normally does in a recovery, we would have oil prices rising. Okay, chainsaw dog. Chainsaw dog. <laughs> you you, you kind of really freaking me out here. I mean, well, if our listeners are you know listening, they think the a bear market's right around the corner. I, I I'm starting to give every, myself anxiety. Matt. Yeah, Go we ahead. talk every day, and I don't think that's really what you think is going to happen here. What do you think is going to happen here? So I think we had some game changer events. We had Trump reach across the aisle, get a debt ceiling lift. And, uh, you know, the idea is that Trump just gave everybody in Washington, uh, put them on notice. I want to get my agenda passed. I want to get these things done. I want tax um, uh, cuts. 
I do want infrastructure spending. We want reduced regulation. I want these things to get done. And defense spending, you know, one of the risks of the market, obviously, we've seen North Korea uh, up the rhetoric and stuff like that. But defense spending, you know, with that type of men- mentality could continue pretty strong. Sure. Defense uh, stocks have been doing pretty well. They're on a tear. <laughs> Um, and you know, uh, that's one of the sectors that has done pretty well, right. Uh, that normally is dependent on uh, budgetary process and infrastructure type spending. So if we get, do get tax cuts, infrastructure spending, what happens? Does the economy well, you know, get better? Do people get more, <laughs> do we have more fully employment? I mean, you know, we see that, uh, the headline unemployment number looks fantastic. Like everybody's working, but we know that, you know, a shade under 70% of Americans are actually participating in the workforce. So where are the other 30%? Would they, would they start working and, and, what are your thoughts on that? Well, a lot of young people who are looking for jobs, they can't get them because the older folks who have had uh, their capital compromised and they can't have to retire. continue working. They have to continue working, right? So those jobs that normally would be open for college graduates aren't there. As a matter of fact, one of the highest unemployment groups are uh, kids that graduate from college with degrees and they can't get a job that would require a degree. Yeah, and we're nowhere near, you know, I look at the the employment statistics all the time. We're we're nowhere near for that segment of the population, those folks with a college degree, uh, toward, you know, near full employment. So the 90s are, and early 2000s are a pretty good uh, barometer for full employment in, in that segment, but uh, we just haven't seen that. So, you know, hey, Don, we're, we're going to come right back in a second here, uh, and we're, we're going to take a quick break. Interested in practice management and market commentary? For our up-to-the-minute take on markets and the economy, follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn at WBI Investments. Are you interested in practice management and other insights on how to navigate today's market conditions? We also post regular market commentary on our website, wbiinvestments.com. So, Don, let's talk about low-cost passive investing there's been a huge push the media talks about it every day you know is that good for investors so there's industry you know the industry has essentially gone with the media's storyboard the media has basically adopted uh, vanguard storyboard so passive and low cost have been linked together free against these days. active in a bull market cycle active isn't going to outperform every day every week every month, and every year, a passive equivalent. The problem with passive, we're only telling half the story. If you give an investor the advice to go to passive, you are giving them, in my opinion, a very dangerous advice. It may be the worst financial decision that an investor could ever make to go with passive, low-cost indexing, because they will lose on a symmetrical basis the index goes down 50%. Symmetrical, big words. They're going to lose 50%. Okay, so this and is so whatever this is the serious, markets though. Do, yep, whatever. They get all the up market, but they get all the down market. So if you're there invested is no in, risk mitigation. You're, if you're invested in SPY, which is the investable equivalent of the S&P 500, what happens to you when the market goes down? It craters right along with the market index. So... You know, markets 2000, 2001, 2002 were down somewhere to 30 to 70 percent. 
and in 2008, about the same. So S&P 500 was down 50 plus percent in 2008 and into 2009. Is, is that what you're saying? You'll be down 50 plus percent? Well, the average bear market historically, every six years, on average, we get a 40 plus percent uh, decline. Since 1871, major bear market cycles has delivered a down 65 for investors. 65%. That means you only have 35% of your capital left. Investors, That's not good. Investors on average are older. We have the wealthiest investing generation in history. So the seniors, in the United States, baby boomers. And they can't afford to take another major bear market decline. They've gotten less wealthy. Well, we were just talking about the, the lost decade just a couple of years ago. What does that mean? <laughs> investors didn't make money. They lost capital and they didn't get it back. But getting back your capital after a big loss that should not be your is goal. not the goal or in investors' objectives. They come to you as a financial planner. You take a look at what they have in terms of their resources, what their income and their savings pattern look like, and you get a required rate of return based on, based on what they're going to spend in retirement and where their capital is today. If they have too high a rate of return, they don't have enough capital, you can't solve their problems. If you tell so, do you, truth, so do you go for more return in that case? And many people do. They try to get excessive return, you know, 10, 11, 12 percent. And if you shoot for eight, higher returns, if you shoot for higher returns, doesn't that mean that you could have larger losses? Sure. Risk and returns. The, the higher the rate of return that you're you're trying to get, the bigger the loss. So on the passive downside. passive ETFs aren't some fantasy magic, you know, magical, you know, you know, fantasy land. Where, oh, come on, Matt. They only go up. Well, they, they seem like it these days. Well, know? we've been in a nine-year bull market cycle. And so people have forgotten about the big bear market losses that they took. You know, the bruising but and what battering. About, okay, so let's, as a let's, matter of let's fact, shift here. Okay? As a matter of fact, advisors tell me, and I talk to advisors all over the country, that their clients are nervous. They want the return. So should you sell? Look, you know, we're, 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 we're beating up on the passive you know, ETF at the moment. Should people sell all of their passive ETFs? No, but they have to have a way to counterbalance the risk. So balance, balance is key in, in, in investing. You have to have, if you have risk on, you have to have some risk off. And so, you know, you have to have active managers who aren't trying to outperform an index with, so no, uh, with no risk mitigation. So active management. You right? have to have active managers who are looking to control the downside loss that investors Okay, take. so active, you know, traditionally. Because diversification won't do it. We saw in 2008, early 2009, the correlations are too high. And when the market breaks down, there's this huge liquidity trap. Everything starts to get sold off as investors turn pessimist, more pessimistic. And they drive down not only equity prices, but bond prices, commodity prices. Gold goes down. My goodness, there was no place to hide in 2008 and early 2009. We could have that again. So you want to have a balancing of risk on and and some risk mitigation. So active. Active usually is, hey, market's up 10. A good active manager's going to be up 11. If the market's down 10 and an active manager's down 9, they've done their job. They get bonuses. It's awesome. You know, they're having office parties. And, and that's what uh, the, the media is talking about in terms of active. Is, is that about right? So it, it, here's an interesting analogy on active versus passive. Let's take an assumption for a minute. We have a 50 basis point or a half of 1% differential in fees, right? So let's say the passive index is free. 
and the active manager cost 50 basis points or a half a percent. So there's this big fee differential, right? Investors can't invest in the index directly for zero, but they can get low-cost passive product. If you take a down 50% loss on a million-dollar investment as an investor... That means you have 500000 left. You only have 500000 left, right? We're pretty good at math here. You would need 50 basis points per year, a half of 1% per year. You would, it would take you 100 years of fees to offset the difference of one 50% loss. A hundred years of fees. The important thing is to protect your capital, get good returns, and make sure that you can compound effectively and you never run out of money in retirement. That's the key. So a blend between passive and active would probably be, and there's been some studies out there, uh, you know, a lot of popular studies this year have come out about the blend between passive and active, and that can actually help you out. So passive exposes investors to that Achilles heel, which is that symmetrical return profile where they lose half their money or more in a normal bear market cycle, and they shouldn't do that with all their capital. The more conservative they are, the more risk mitigation they should seek. You know, the institutional investors have always known what was important about investing. They look for highest risk-adjusted return. The manager who takes the least risk and gets the greatest return. There's a big difference, though, between an institution and an individual investor, and that's, you know, an institution lives forever. Right, and investors get to retirement, and they change their goals, and they need income. And managing a retirement income portfolio, produce a high level of income, is the most difficult thing you can do as a money manager. It's the most difficult strategy to manage effectively for people, especially in a low interest rate environment. It would be one of the more difficult strategies to build for an advisor, too, right? It would be. And, you know, advisors are using all kinds of different things. So what's the key there? What's the key first? First step, if you have a retired investor, obviously low-cost passives not going to get the job done because I would assume too much loss. As a retired investor, you have got to minimize risk or loss of capital to 20% or less in a bear market. So should you invest all your money in bonds? Bonds, unfortunately won't provide the risk mitigation in this next cycle if the economy actually recovers. If it doesn't, it won't matter what you invest bonds? in. Why, why not bonds? Bonds have enjoyed over 30 years of the greatest bull market run in terms of interest rates going from high back, as I said, when I first came in the business some 36 years or so ago, we had very high interest rates on treasuries. As a matter of fact, treasury, short-term treasuries hit 21% back then. Today, short-term treasuries are a few basis points. 10-year treasury is only 2%. And so we have a very low interest rate environment, and that has caused bond prices to appreciate. When the tide turns and interest rates actually do start to rise because we have growth in the economy, the bond story is going to be one of the most dangerous places to hide. Well, if if you have inflation and economic growth, which we were talking about earlier, we think we actually could see some economic growth, then... I sure hope so. Then bonds don't get the job done, do they? We're running out of time on that economic growth. They don't get the job done, though, right? The they cash don't. flow doesn't, doesn't rise uh, rapidly enough to keep pace well, with inflation. You know, we've been managing... Uh, 
real client accounts for over 25 years in our retirement income strategy. And we do believe that bonds provides a safer, consistent cash flow, a higher yield. And so a, a traditionally, about half the portfolio is invested in bonds to get that current income stream. And the other half is invested in high-yielding dividend-paying stocks. And dividend-paying stocks are much more dynamic because dividends rise over time and they have price appreciation as the economy recovers. All right. So that's all we have time for today. Um, you know, next time we'll talk a little bit about the consumer. It's an impact on the economy, institutionalizing your business. And we look forward to uh, meeting you guys again out here on uh, the airwaves. Have a great one. This is Bull Bear Radio, where each week you can count on our real market news and advice. Catch all of our podcast episodes at WBIinvestments.com. Past performance does not guarantee future results. The views presented are those of the podcast participants and should not be construed as investment advice. Podcast participants or clients of WBI may own stock discussed in this recording. All economic and performance information is historical and not indicative of future results. This is not an offer to buy or sell any security. No security or strategy, including those referred to directly or indirectly in this podcast, is suitable for all accounts or profitable all the time and there's always a possibility of loss. Moreover, you should not assume that any discussion or information provided here serves as a receipt of or as a substitute for personalized investment advice from WBI or from any other investment professional. To the extent that you have any questions regarding the applicability of any specific issue discussed to your individual situation, please consult with WBI or the professional advisor of your choosing. This information is compiled from sources believed to be reliable. Accuracy cannot be guaranteed. WBI's retirement income strategy was incepted on June 30th, 1993. Information pertaining to WBI's advisory operations services and fees is set forth in WBI's disclosure statement in Part 2A of the Form ADV, a copy of which is available upon request. You are not permitted to publish, transmit, or otherwise reproduce this information in whole or in part in any format to any third party without the express written consent of WBI Investments, Inc.